Hi, Sophie. It's Adam. I just want to call and say goodnight, and then I love you. Hi, honey. This is Al. want you to know that I miss you and was wondering if you were home. I would never leave you for anything in the world. Just wondering if you're home because I miss you. Hey, how you doing? It's just me. Hope you had a great weekend by yourself. Sorry. This business deal is just taking a really long, long time. But I just wanted to know that I've been thinking about you. It's been a while since we've been separated this long, but I just wanted to tell you know, that you're the only one. Hello and welcome to the Artsy Podcast. I'm Abigail Kane, filling in for Isaac this holiday week. What you just heard was a clip from an audio installation titled Good Night Call by artist Sophie Barbash, in which she posted on Craigslist and asked strangers to call her and leave her a goodnight message. We actually have Sophie in the studio today. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. And we're also joined by Deputy Editor Scott Indrasek. How are you doing? So we'll get back to goodnight calls specifically in just a moment, but this episode is going to focus more broadly on Craigslist and how artists are using the site to create work that's intimate and weird and often very compelling. Scott actually just wrote a really excellent piece about artists using Craigslist. But before we get into that, I actually want to start with a more general question. What was the first time that both of you used Craigslist for anything, not just for art? Uh, I think personally, probably going back about 10 years, um, I definitely used Craigslist to find my first New York roommate, uh, to find other roommates since then. I actually was pretty into uh, posting uh, misconnections for a while and had had like a 80% success rate in people responding, including with one person who I ended up living with for a year. And uh, I also got a very short-lived job at the magazine High Times via Craigslist. That's that's about my strange experience as a <laughs> as a civilian with with the site. That seems like a lot of things. That's a comprehensive list. That's of my Craigslist life. Were the misconnections the right people? Were they the correct people? Uh, yeah, actually, one was someone on the L train, and one was yeah, yeah, both the right people. And oddly enough, the person I ended up dating for about a year, she only saw that misconnection because her boyfriend at the time had a habit of reading them just for fun. And he told her about it. So he kind of really shot oh himself in the foot. In that <laughs> really? Yep. Wow. I think we maybe should just stop it there. You have the best Craigslist story. <laughs> I know. I don't have anything quite as intriguing. I just did apartment searches up until pretty recently. So I feel pretty familiar with all the tricks and things to look out for and all that stuff. Were you successful? Did you like the roommates? I don't think I actually ever lived in any of the places. Just a lot. Of, oh, no, no, that's not true. I did have a successful okay. roommate situation. So Yeah, I think that's the interesting thing about Craigslist now is that people still do use it to find furniture. To, I talked to some people who had like bought and sold trucks and, and all this sort of thing. Less so for, um, I think, the, the dating part of the site which maybe 10 years ago before OkCupid or Tinder or whatever the newest one is, was maybe a more <laughs> you know, accepted way of meeting strangers for, in a romantic sense. Now I think that part of the site is probably maybe interesting for an artist, less interesting for a single person. 
Yeah, when I kind of look through the different categories, I see like women for men, it's a lot of like, I want a long term relationship, I want to find my soulmate, I want to get married. And the guys are posting very different things from what I can tell. But there's a little bit of overlap. So maybe we should just backtrack to, to kind of talk about in a broader sense, um, why we're kind of all here rather than just talking about Craigslist for apartments or wanting to talk about Craigslist as sort of a tool that artists are continuing to use to make very different sorts of work and in order to either in some cases meet subjects for a photographic series to find collaborators for a sort of performances and videos or all different manner of tactics let's say that artists are using with craigslist um, and the piece that i had written recently for artsy kind of looked at a number of different people including sophie and um, an artist named kenneth tam uh, laurel nakadate a sculptor named brian rochefort uh, people who were using Craigslist in wildly different ways. In a nutshell, Kenneth was kind of using Craigslist to actually meet people in real life and have strange encounters on, on video with them. Uh, for instance, he was looking on Craigslist for someone who was willing to just have dinner at home while he sat there very awkwardly in the background and said nothing, but the camera was running. And he found that person and made that video. Uh, another video he made involved him having a very long, intimate conversation with a man who was in a box in the middle of the room. <laughs> and this man in the box was trying to get Kenneth, the artist, to be more comfortable being naked, let's say. Um, hard to describe. You should probably go watch it online yourself. But um, It's a pretty bizarre video. <laughs> it's, it's very bizarre. It's very bizarre. But it all ends well, I think. Yeah. No, it's, it's like he, he's pretty nice, the box man. Yeah, he's, he's, he's very nice. Encouraging. He's very encouraging. Yeah, he's very complimentary. The, the man in the box is very complimentary. If you're going to have an experience with a man in, in a box, um, <laughs> I think that's probably the best you would hope for. <laughs> um, just to go back to some of the other artists, um, Brian Roachfort did a really interesting thing where he basically would find on Craigslist cheap, kitschy piggy banks or vases or vessels. He would reglaze them in interesting ways and then sell them in an art world context in a gallery for, let's say, quite a bit more than he initially paid for mm. them, which he kind of looks at, he told me, as being a commentary on art flipping in general, where you would buy a $20 item and then sell it, you know, two months later for 10 times that amount. Sophie, your work, I think, is really interesting in this context because you're not looking to, you know, meet these people in real life. You're not mm. really looking to have, or develop any sort of relationship. It's sort of more one-sided. So maybe you can tell us a bit about uh, how you first started using Craigslist and what, what your goals were, and mm -hmm. and we can go from there. So I started my project Goodnight Call right after a breakup, and I was sort of thinking about sincerity and language and how we kind of communicate intimate things. And um, one of the things that really stood out to me was this sort of daily ritual that I didn't ever think about before, which is the Goodnight Call, which is very difficult to have with anyone other than a significant other <laughs> because no one else really wants to know about like what you had for lunch that day or how the meeting went. So I started to think about how I could sort of speak about sincerity and also recreate this ritual for myself. And I had the idea, first I asked people to tell me about their day and then I um, specified, I want you to pretend to be my partner as if we've been together for a long time. Tell this, me this was through you posting on Craigslist, yeah, saying so, soliciting people, total mm -hmm. strangers, to say call total this number. Total strangers, yeah. I chose Craigslist at first on a whim, just because it seemed like one option to try. I was also considering kind of posting things around town or soliciting in other ways. And then I had a very sort of high volume response from Craigslist, and so I started using it on a consistent basis. So. 
yeah, the tell me about your day was not quite focused enough. I think with the second iteration where I told them to pretend to be this person, to kind of act in this role, they understood the game element a little bit. So they kind of took that on. And a lot of them sound sincere. A lot of them sound a little bit insincere. It was kind of interesting when I was showing people this work because sometimes people would say, well, that's so that's so honest or that's so sincere. And that was kind of what I was going for, to have something totally fake kind of masquerade as something real. Was this your normal cell phone number you were posting or did you kind of have a, a safe phone that was for this project? I used Google Voice. So it was a completely different number. That way I also had all the, what kind of like an archive of the voicemails. I ended up doing the project for quite a while and asking for a lot of different things, but the piece ended up just being that initial call. How closely did people follow your rules for, you know, what kind of answers that you wanted them to give? Did people who called in usually actually follow the It guidelines? was very close. And I got a lot of people really trying and very few people taking it less seriously. Mm -hmm. A lot of people would email a response and not call, but the people who took the time to call took it seriously and did a pretty good job, I think. One, I mean, one interesting thing that we should make clear is that no one, uh, as far as I know, who was calling or taking part in this knew kind of what they were getting into or exactly you know mm -hmm. they didn't realize for I don't think that they were being recorded that this was going to be part of a project in, well they did sense. yeah well luckily for me they did know they were being recorded because it was the voicemail but I never said it was an art project and that was something I went back and forth with and ultimately just decided to kind of take the leap and not say anything. I didn't feel that people would respond if I told them it was an art project. Or if you did, I mean, it would kind of prejudice the whole thing in a way, right? I would assume that you would get people who wanted to take part in an art project, which is a different right, group. Right, which is a different group. <laughs> Although maybe not. You have an idea of what kind of people on Craigslist, Scott, want to take part in an art project, Oh, right? yeah. I mean, so part of part of doing this story, because I was just kind of curious, and what one other thing that had come up in talking to Kenneth Tam and, and yourself, Sophie, was what kind of people are looking at Craigslist in different cities? I know Ken Tam had said he had a lot of luck in Los Angeles due mm -hmm. to the number of kind of semi-desperate, underemployed actors out there who were just, you know, looking at the gig section of Craigslist, kind of willing to do anything if a camera was there, thinking, this sounds strange, but maybe this will be my big break somehow. Mm -hmm. um, and I know you had some interesting things to say about uh, different cities that you found most fruitful, but I just a, a sort of an experiment posted a very ridiculous... Um, Craigslist ad myself on, I posted it in New York and Los Angeles, and it sort of, I mean, I would assume anyone reading it would know that it was not very serious because it said that I was a well-known artist working at the intersection of food art and uh, That sounds in line movement. with stuff I've seen. Yeah, you would think people would just tell you to go to hell. And I mean, I was asking for <laughs> things like uh, a driver's license, you would need a driver's license, a second language would be great. Um, I'm looking for someone docile and obedient, able to lift up awkward things. And I got a fair amount of responses, including from, you know, people who really were selling themselves, people who had worked for like the Jeff Koons studio and Robert Gober and huh. other people. It sounds people. a lot like posts I've seen. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and some, some people clearly hadn't read the whole thing, but some people definitely had read it all and were very excited to 
be paid $15 an hour or something. So I did not actually go through with this, obviously. But yeah, I was interested in hearing a little bit more about what you said in that you would post for your own projects in cities that you didn't actually live in mm-hmm. and the cities that were you know not New York and L.A. I think you had mentioned maybe Minneapolis or Milwaukee. Yeah, Minneapolis is my go-to. Really? Minneapolis is very productive. <sighs> I've done all over the country. I did L.A., I did the East Coast, like Boston, Providence, Philly, New York. I did Texas and parts of the South and Midwest. Um, I don't know why Minneapolis is so good. L.A. was very much kind of like, what are you talking about? Like, like, why would you ask that? Why would you want that? Maybe I didn't give it a fair shot. Well, one difference, too, <laughs> is I guess in certain of these projects, there's there's payment involved. You know, so people right. are looking for work, whatever you want to call work. Mm-hmm. In your case, you're really just asking them to engage for out of curiosity or mm-hmm. just interest. You're not saying, I'll pay you $10 to leave me a good night message, this kind of thing. Although that could be an interesting experiment. But yeah, the, p- the payoff for them was never like made clear in any way. And I don't know that there was. It did seem like some people kind of got into it and liked it. I think some people thought it was like the first step in something else. Um, and then with with other kind of prompts and questions, sometimes it kind of felt like people were using that as a way to kind of get something off their chest or speak to someone in real life that they couldn't actually tell those things to. But yeah, I think it does attract a different participant when you say, you know, I'm going to pay you even, I don't know, a small amount of money or you're going to be in my famous studio or whatever. Um, so yeah, I think that that was why I was surprised because I wasn't offering anything. It's important that we also mention that so there's Goodnight Calls, one project, but then you've done a whole series of, I think, about 20 books mm-hmm. based on a, a similar method, but more based through email correspondence where you're asking people to answer a question or tell you something, and then you're kind of collecting their responses without giving their identities away and things like this. So yeah. maybe you could tell us a bit about some of those prompts that you left on Craigslist and, and the sort of responses you got back. So yeah, immediately after I collected the audio, I was feeling inspired and kind of enthusiastic about it because I liked you know all these positive messages coming into my inbox. So then I thought, what if I asked for love letters? Um, and it was uh, the same thing. They were kind of writing to me without knowing me saying that they loved me. And again, I was interested in what that phrase meant, if it had any meaning on its own, if it had any impact either on my brain or on someone's brain to hear that, even knowing it was fake. So I did that. And then I kind of moved in a more armchair psychologist direction. So I had people talk about their confessions, the mistakes that they were kind of thinking through. I asked them about heartbreak and loss. I asked a lot of different questions kind of throughout a series of 10 books. And then I did another set of six, which was more about loneliness. And then the final set with four books is more about forgiveness. I'm really interested in this push-pull between what we think and what we feel and how we're supposed to make decisions based on those things that are often at odds. And I think at first my idea was to kind of rationalize the feelings or put language to the feelings in order to clarify them and kind of create some sort of roadmap. And in the end, I think I'm kind of leaning in a different direction and kind of a more positive idea of emotion and sort of human nature that um, it's the heart that knows and we can just um, follow the feelings and not kind of let the mind get in the way. And again, it's about kind of obsessive thinking as well and kind of that tension 
So that's where the books went. The way you're describing it sounds to me sort of surprisingly positive yeah. in the sense that like, I don't know, just I think in the news recently, I mean, always on the internet, but especially recently people have, there's so much talk about how anonymous people online like can be horrible. Well, especially, especially anonymous men. Anonymous to, men. Yes. I think that the other thing that we should stress is that in almost all of these cases, if not definitely all of these cases, the, the people responding to your posts are men. All um, men. Yeah. All men. So um, I think you, you just, Described to me that some of that was just out of necessity and that there are not, there's a lot more <laughs> men willing to engage with strangers on the internet than there are women yeah. willing to do the same. And also it was just your interest was more about that that dynamic. Yeah, but that's a good point. And I think when I started, I didn't want to emphasize the sort of general assumptions I had going into it, which was that Craigslist was seedy and gross and, you know, hypersexual, blah, 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 which it can be also, but I was more interested in sort of revealing a different angle. And um, I think for my own purposes at that point, I was a little bit maybe thinking of myself in a, in a sort of sociological capacity, looking at this population of men, which is completely amorphous and, you know, scientifically would never make any sense. But um, thinking about men and thinking about differences in gender and behavior, and I did kind of feel like there we are all the same. We all have the same. <laughs> feelings and kind of regrets so I, I don't know it wasn't that, that wasn't what I set out to find but I think it did kind of come out in some of the responses it brings up an interesting point too in that I think a lot of times people if you just heard about this kind of work in general like I'm an artist I'm using Craigslist to meet not meet or even just use uh, content provided to me by strangers without their knowledge let's say mm -hmm. a lot of people might automatically say well that's not ethical or that is just you kind of laughing at sad right, right. weirdos that you don't know. And I think yeah. most of what I got out of speaking to everyone for this article was that there's a real empathy involved, or that if there's not, then the project is kind of a wash. It's, there's no point in doing it. That um, Not that you really you know, understand everyone, I'm sure, that mm -hmm. responded to uh, your post, but that the goal would be to kind of look at what you have in common maybe with these people rather than looking at them as freaks or, you know. Yeah, in a way, I mean, they really helped me because every single book came out of my own life. You know, all those questions were things I was thinking about, and they kind of did me a favor because these were things I did not want to talk about. You know, my own regrets, uh, my own feelings about marriage or heartbreak or um, loss. So I, I kind of um, stayed in the background, but I did not want to give it an exploitative feel. And I think it's a little bit ambiguous. A lot of people respond in that way, thinking that it's not ethical. And honestly, I'm not really sure. I spent a lot of time thinking about what it means to make a portrait of someone and how you kind of represent someone's identity, in part because the I found the voices to be very specific. And so I don't know like if they're recognizable. Is that still fair? Is it ethical? I did feel once images got involved that it was too much to show people. So um, images that people may have that sent they just to you sent or, me, okay. yeah. And then with the text, it was a little bit easier because it was totally anonymous, and I didn't have to worry about that anymore. I guess it's it's just a larger question that most artists would deal with, even if you were a street photographer. Mm -hmm. You know, you might take a picture of a stranger that ends up in a gallery blown up four by five feet. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean that you know that person. You're not getting their permission. You're not asking them if they're okay with it. You know, it's sort of fair game. Yeah, it's an issue that runs through a lot of different moments and projects, I think. Is there ever uh, something that you've done where you feel like 
that line was transgressed in a way that you thought, okay, this is too yeah. much? Or? I did receive a call about someone's fetish, and I really liked it because to me it encapsulated this idea about feeling one way and not wanting to feel that way, obsessive thinking, kind of something that's very mundane but also sort of surreal. And um, I put it in a video piece and felt like the voice was too revealing. And so I changed it to a text piece. And then at this point, I'm not even sure what to do with it. I think I see this as a piece where I'm playing a character. And so it's not the end of the world if like that character is maybe exploitative. Not that that's what I want. But I kind of think about it that way also. Thinking about like what what is this character I want to create? I don't think I want that. Um, it's sort of the same question as like what kind of editor I want to be and sort of how I want to frame this material. And uh, you did mention uh, that there's one book that you decided not to publish. Mm -hmm. And I think the prompt question there was... Uh, it was what was the worst thing you ever did for money? That's like really what you think Craigslist is going to be. That's that's what that was. <laughs> and I did kind of want to push it and make it darker overall, the project. But I think that at a certain point, it doesn't serve much of a purpose. The optimism thing is interesting because I would assume if you set out to be kind of an anthropologist of, of men through this project that you'd end up not having that much faith in men afterwards. But um, it seems like you've... You still have faith yeah. in humanity after the going to The only thing that bothered me was like with the mistakes, it was just one cheating situation after another. This that is, oh, people confessing me. to this. Yeah. But um, no, I think that overall, that's kind of the tension I wanted it to have a little bit, that there's this sort of like strange anonymous space that also is sort of like caring and human, I guess. Actually, Sophie, I kind of want to jump back to an, an adjective that you used a couple of questions ago, which was seedy. Because mm -hmm. um, I know that, Scott, we've chatted a little bit about that word because many artists that you talk to also use the exact same word. To yeah, independently, it was, it was sort of a go-to adjective for what this Craigslist community is like. It, it wasn't necessarily just creepy or weird. It was always seedy, which seems very like a very specific vibe. It's like almost like a visceral word that you can picture what that environment would be like. But yeah, that was kind of a word that n a number of people used in talking to me about their experience with Craigslist. Um, a photographer, Terry Ratsliff, who met uh, strangers through, I believe, different parts of the dating component of Craigslist and then would go meet them and talk to them and take their portraits. Mm -hmm. Ken Tam definitely used that word, I believe, in some capacity. Uh, a few other artists that I had you know, mentioned in the piece um, Maybe didn't describe it as seedy, but they, these are, again, there's so many different ways that artists are using Craigslist. The, the one thing I didn't mention before was people who are using it not to build relationships with strangers, but really to find images, to find just content, like kind of an archive of found content online. One guy named Eric Oglander has a very specific project called Craigslist Mirrors. I which love is, that. I love. I follow him on Instagram. It's so strange and 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 specific. I mean, it's. The title really says it all. It's he finds pictures of mirrors on Craigslist, and then he put a book out of all these mirror pictures. So, you know, you get this weird context of someone's house. You sometimes see half of them. Like their feet or their dog. Yeah. <laughs> I love it when they're outside, too, because they'll have these, like, you know, great images of, like, grass or sky being reflected. It's, it's strange it's, how poetic they are. They're really cool. And I guess I, I had a few people when I asked uh, just on Facebook, hey, do you still use Craigslist? An odd number of people said, oh, yeah, I use it to... I've used it to buy mirrors. I, I guess maybe uh, I'm, really? I'm assuming. Yeah, I'm assuming maybe mirrors are 
like expensive in the store, new, and therefore Maybe. it's an easy thing to find online. I mean, I've bought a lot of furniture on Craigslist. I bought something like a month ago on Craigslist. I, I, I have certain phobias that prohibit buying <laughs> furniture on Craigslist, but I appreciate your... It's a weird world. It's, I mean, they have they sell like bargain furniture, right? Like Ikea stuff that's like $50. Or they sell like $2,000, $3,000 like modernist stuff. And you're like, who's <laughs> on Craigslist paying $3,000 for like Someone, I guess. coffee table? Well, actually that reminds me because Ken Tam, one of the first projects he, d- he did with Craigslist didn't have to do with meeting people. He would buy, uh, you know, crummy Ikea, specifically Ikea furniture mm-hmm. on Craigslist. Oh, there's so much. And then he would change it. He would like make kind of mutant versions of it, maybe make the couch a little wider. And then he would resell it on also on Craigslist, and I guess over time he started making the objects more sculptural to or like, strange to regular people. Did he sell them as people. art objects? No, or he just didn't. He didn't. So I was asking him. I said, "Oh, so there's there's probably a bunch of people out there who have <laughs> sculptures by you that maybe they're sitting on right now." You know, and he he had no idea. He's like, "Yeah, or maybe they're in the trash, or maybe they got sold ten more times." Um, he and he was describing IKEA furniture as something that you know uh, people commonly think of like you never own it; you're just renting it until you sell it to some other like college student or something <laughs> like this. Oh, the other person too I did want to mention who kind of um, sparked my interest in doing this piece was uh, not, I, mean, I, I guess I think of him as an artist, but I guess he's just a TV personality. Uh, Nathan Fielder from the Comedy mm. Central show, Nathan For You, who if anyone listening hasn't seen it, I recommend watching it. It's a very strange show where this guy gives business makeovers to failing small businesses. Horrible he does advice. a very bad job. <laughs> he recommends very stupid things and people are totally willing to enact them in the effort to save their business. Um, It generally doesn't end well. But one of the main tools he uses almost in every other episode is Craigslist. And Craigslist, they almost show him at his laptop, you know, typing the post on Craigslist. And one episode, he's, it's very specific. He was looking for a man, a large man who had recently cremated his mother. And he found a number of people who came into his studio and had recently cremated their mother and they were large. And he basically said, yeah, so I, I'm, I need to borrow a suit of yours. It doesn't fit me, and I need your mother's ashes. And, and evidently, there was at least more than a handful of people in Los Angeles because he had success with that. So, uh, And what did he do with the ashes? It's a very, like most of these shows, <laughs> you try to describe what happens. It's very complicated. It, it involved, I think, a, an anecdote he was going wanting to tell in the Jimmy Kimmel show. But Without Craigslist, I don't know. I don't know where you would go to find a large man who had recently cremated his mother. I mean, <laughs> you can't just stand on the street corner asking <laughs> passerby. In some ways, it's almost inspiring that all those people are willing to like go and and talk to someone who needs that specific thing. But I can't tell if it's like actually inspiring or if it's just like you know people are very lonely. It's it's a little or bit of both. Maybe it's a little know? bit of both. I mean, the guy who ends up um, taking part in this Nathan Few episode. His, his mother was actually still alive, so he didn't quite read the whole thing. And then Nathan said, well, <laughs> you are large, so that's one of two. And, uh, but your mother's still alive, so if we just go get some of her hair and toenails, then we can cremate those and make ashes even though she's not dead yet. And this guy is like, okay. So they go to the mother's house and... It is kind of heartbreaking because the, the large man, who's the son of the mother, is explaining this what he needs from his mother and saying, "This is just you know this, this is a this is a really good opportunity for me," and it, it, it is sort of that it does push against that That's line so where you're sad. like, okay, like this you know how is this mother and son gonna feel when they see this or on Comedy Central? You know, it's um, um, but in your case, Sophie, I guess it's interesting because most of the people who have 
taken part in your projects, I would guess in, uh, they probably don't know that they've taken part in one of your projects. I think they don't know because I never put my name in the post or anything, but I guess I'm not sure because I do post very repeatedly, so it's possible that, I mean, I have gotten um, people responding to me like six months later again. Like people kind of to a different to a different question. prompt. Okay. So I don't really know if they recognize it. I don't know if it stands out as being more weird than the other stuff they find on there. It's possible it's kind of average to them. I'm not sure. Do you do you think? I know when we had talked, you had mentioned um, that you'd never used Reddit, for instance. And Reddit, something when I talked to Kenneth Tam, he had said that he was not phasing out using Craigslist, but he had started to use Reddit more. Mm-hmm. That it was a different audience in some ways it was less anonymous because um, mm-hmm. there's kind of a paper trail of what you have said previously on reddit it's not just totally anonymous mm-hmm. but um do you kind of think you've got some work left to do with craigslist or are you kind of i think i'm nearing the end i've asked a lot of questions although i've said that before and then i have just like one other question and then like a month later i have another one um but i think for me it like doing that project means being in a very specific space and not I'm I'm not opening myself up but I am sort of on the receiving end of a lot of kind of information content responses um which is how I set it up but after a certain point I wasn't really seeking that anymore and I think that it just takes a very specific frame of mind. <laughs> um I haven't really dived into Reddit. What it, does he like it does Kentan like it? Yeah, he he seemed to have said he was having a, a lot of luck with it. And actually, the, the next project he's working on, which I didn't mention in the piece, but I'm kind of fascinated by, he's going to use a combination of Reddit and Craigslist, and he wants to orchestrate a adult summer camp in Los Angeles for men only. So I guess something between like a male bonding retreat and a and a summer camp. I think he said it, it just seems like different types of people on both. You know, he kind of was trying to unscientifically break down the demographic between the two mm-hmm. but but he definitely still said craigslist is something he's using and you know maybe mm-hmm. just in, a more eclectic in mix in moderation use <laughs> craigslist in moderation that's the uh, that's the key thanks so much to scott and sophie for coming on this week don't forget to rate and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts if you haven't already. And if you have any comments about this episode, email us at podcast at artsy.net. We'll see you next week. The producer for this week's episode was me, Abigail Kane, and the theme music is by Broke for Free.